0: I have the perfect A-levels for a terrorist. Um, Ah. I did (laughs) religion. Sorry, I (laughs) nearly spat my
1: coffee out there. (laughs) So I say that again. We're standing here in the middle of the stage at the Waterfront Hall. Now, the last time I was here was to watch the Folk Awards last year where we saw some brilliant acts. I'm not sure we're going to hear such great singing today from me. This week we're speaking to someone whose career's taken her from the family farm in County Down to Sales and Marketing Director for ICC Belfast, the Waterfront Hall and the Ulster Hall. We're going to be, as the title suggests, finding out how Una O'Reilly got here via one of the most important jobs in Northern Ireland football and one of the most important jobs in Northern Ireland business. No better person to share her story and no better person to hear from. (laughs) Min O'Reilly, welcome to the How I Got Here podcast. Um, Great to have you here. Um, Thanks for having me. Great to be here in um, the ICC, um, next door to the waterfront. Um, I want to dive straight in with uh, a question about what you are doing at the minute. I suppose at the heart of what you do is try and fill three very big, iconic venues across Belfast and also try and sell Belfast and Northern Ireland as a great place to come to, to hold your conference and to um, to visit an event. That's a heck of a responsibility. What, what What's it like every day having that on your shoulders?
0: So, I our biggest KPI, right, so the biggest thing as a business that we have to do is drive economic impact. And what does that actually mean? It means bring new money into the city. So the big driver we'll do with that is bringing in new conferences. Um, so there's... Basically, each delegate is worth £488 per day. So if you have a 1,000-person conference for three days, you're making quite a substantial amount of money, like close to £1.5 million of new money that comes in. From an entertainment perspective, I mean, whenever you're looking after the Ulster Hall and the Waterfront Hall, it's iconic. So you want to create brilliant experiences for people. But again, it drives the night-time economy and it helps Belfast. Um, I mean, my remit, whenever I come in, I'm the Director of Sales and Marketing, and it was like, right, I only have to double the business. You know, where do you even start? Um, so for me, there's two sides. There's the conferencing side of the business and then there's the entertainment side. And it's, it's been in, like two years in the job in November and it's, it's been an interesting journey so far. Uh,
1: but as I say, it must be a lot of responsibility, you know, to, 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 to just really drive the economics behind this, the, all these venues and to keep them filled.
0: It is responsibility, but it's it's a number, it's a target, it's 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 exciting. I have a really good team. I'm really lucky in terms of the people that I work with. Um, I've a good chief executive. Catherine came from she actually ran the London Olympics, Rio Olympics, and uh, Beijing Olympics, where she she worked for a big food company, Armark, feeding a hundred thousand people in the in the village, uh, the athletes' village, and the horses. Um, I mean, the big thing is that you have a good, strong team that you can rely on.
1: Um- We've heard a little bit about what you do now. Um, I want to get back to that later, but take me back to this this podcast called "How I Got Here." So, take me back to the, the very beginning. You, like me, come from an agriculture background. Mm-hmm. Spent a bit of time on a farm. I, I was doing a little bit of research um, and also have a, a a degree in agriculture economics. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Take me back. Take me back to the farm and what you learned there. You know, and and, and how how you got to where you are.
0: Sure. So I, um, yes, I'm an educated farmer. Um, for degree in agricultural economics and management. My, um, my dad's a cattle dealer, so he bought and sold cattle. And um, my job from, from when I was about ten, my dad, I was literally doing tele sales, um, for black limousine heifer calves, um, angry, trying to sell them.
1: Angry cattle limousine. So
0: yes, it was a, an interesting, um, an interesting setup. So I was used to doing sales, um, and just trying to make a connection with people. I then uh, would also have to put the silage out, which was interesting because. You're 14 or 15, driving a tractor um, in your school uniform. I went to Assumption Grammar and Ball in Balna Hinch, um, and you had a, there was a window. You had a 15-minute window to get the silage out, or the boys' school bus from the Red High went, and they'll bang, 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 bang <laughs> the window on the way past. So I got really efficient uh-huh. at time management because the silage had 15 minutes to be out, yeah. or you're going to be totally scoundered um, with the boys' school bus going past. <laughs> Not great like for a fifteen year old <laughs> girl for us.
1: But but that kinda instilled a hard work ethic in you at a very young age.
0: Yeah, I couldn't believe my first office job there was an end time. Uh-huh. Do you know it finished, you yeah, know. Yeah. At half five people went home. Whereas in, you know, at home, you know, you, you finished work when when the work was done. There was no going home. So I, I found work very very short day in comparison uh-huh. to working on a farm.
1: Uh-huh. And then you you so you finished you finished school and you thought agriculture farming is the is the route for me so you went not act- really
0: no i so I, I from a school's perspective like i, I went to assumption I, I i really enjoyed school but I wasn't brilliant i'm i, I, I was dyslexic but undiagnosed at that stage right. so i wasn't that well, actually wasn't that good at school i was okay um i did enough to get by i did enough to get my a levels um my a levels i have the perfect a levels for a terrorist um, ah. I did religion <laughs>
1: Sorry I nearly <laughs> spat my coffee out there, so I <laughs> say that again.
0: Yeah. So I did religion, chemistry and uh, economics. So the religion of reason. <laughs> <laughs> chemistry I can make the bombs and the economics I can fund it. Brilliant. Um, so yes it was quite, an, quite a quite this was a broad spectrum in terms of my A-levels. Um, I'd applied to do a marketing degree, but didn't get into it because I didn't get the A-levels that I needed. So I went into clearing. And uh, I uh, thought, oh, I'll give it a go and have <laughs> try agricultural economics. But really, it was delaying the work process. Right, um, right, I just right. wanted to go to university to experience not living on a farm and getting to live in Belfast and yeah. the Holy Land. So.
1: That you're, was interesting. You're, you're not giving a great impression to all of us that have agriculture degrees, you know.
0: <laughs> no, it's, it, it, I mean, it was a really good degree. Yeah. Um, really enjoyed it. Queen's was a brilliant university. I played Gaelic football. So I played um, played for Queen's, played for Bryantsford, and then also played for Downs. So a lot of my university career was actually playing Gaelic football. Uh-huh. Um, I was also lucky in terms of this, the, the ratio in my class. There was... Sixty guys and three girls. So it was easy to get your, you know, your homework off somebody oh, yeah. copy notes. Um, you had a good head rate, so it was it was fun. I really enjoyed university. Of Queen's it was brilliant. Um, really good networks with it as well, and you can sort of use that throughout your career as you go through. And then I, I decided I want to get into sales and marketing. And I'm probably the only person that got a marketing job that went up and demanded, please give me a sales job. Um, but before my first office job, I actually sold Hoover's door to door no yeah i did it for three months mm-hmm.
1: did you sell many
0: yeah i actually was quite good at it <laughs> they um it was sold unfair basically what you did is you hoovered people's mattress and then you could show the dead skin that came out of it it was ferocious then i got it what sort of hoovers were these uh kirby's that were like back in the day they were like 1400 pounds yeah 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 20 odd years ago um so yeah so i did that for three months and then
1: uh, and you thought you thought hoovers maybe aren't well, right, no, I actually had through. an allergic
0: reaction <laughs> because of all the dead skin. Um, so I knocked that in the head, got a job in a bar, and whilst I was in a bar, um, to try and drive up people to come along, I put on wee events. So I did a, I did a higher lower, you know. Oh, uh, have, the Bruce's price stuff, is right. Yeah, yeah. higher lower. So I did that, and there was a woman there, and she turned around and she goes like, like, what do you want to do with your life? You know, <laughs> you know, what do you want to work at? And I says, "Oh, I'm trying to get a job in, in sales and marketing." And I says, "But it's hard. I've no experience, except for selling hoovers and calves." So it wasn't really the most corporate um, of things. She says, "Listen, I know somebody um, that you would fit in with their business." So I sat down, and lo and behold, the person that interviewed me um, lived a mile down the road and <laughs> offered me a cinnamon lossinger. <laughs> says she knew the jobs I know your family. You'd be a hard worker. <laughs> And that was the height of the interview. Was he gave me a cinnamon latte I said,
1: well, and said
0: you. "I'll give you a three months' trial. Right. Um, come in, prove yourself for three months, and then we'll give you a job." So that was kind of that was with the training consultancy. Then and what I, what were you
1: doing there?
0: I was doing marketing, but then I really wanted to get into I really wanted to get into sales. Most people don't want to get into sales. Yeah, but nobody would let they wouldn't let me loosen sales at the start. And then I because we were selling sales and leadership and training i went through lots of leadership training and i was 23 when i found out about worldview right that people thought differently because the way we were in my family was either thought like us (laughs) or you were mad (laughs) do you see them people are buying a new car every three years not wise you buy a car you drive it into the ground then you buy another new car and you drive (laughs) so we couldn't understand why people were buying a new car every three years um so it was. we we did this exercise and they told a story and there was five people. There was the the villain and then there was the, the victim and you had to rank people who did the worst right through to who was the victim. Uh-huh. So I answered, obviously thinking it was clearly the right answer. And there was different people in the room with different answers. <laughs> and, and I thought they were smart. And I was like, what is going on? People are odd. I couldn't believe it. But it was like a total epiphany moment whenever I realised people's worldview, with their, how they were brought up and the whole experience, actually can change their, their view on how things are. Like in our house, the worst thing you could do would be to stay. Just when you, now, if you told a lie, if it was a wee white like, lie. Yeah, you're it up. It wouldn't be quite as bad. <laughs> Whereas in other houses, telling a lie would be the number one worst thing you could do. Yeah. So it was, an, it was a really interesting experience for me. So at 23, I had this insight into, you and me might be having the same conversation, but you're dissecting it and interpreting it differently. Uh-huh. not everybody gets that, not everybody gets that ever, um, so it was a really good lesson for me, so I ended up um, ended up in sales, I um, I ended up selling leadership training and working with really senior teams, I worked with Hewlett Packard, um, Compact whenever they were emerging, and I was sent over to America, I had, I had a, a meeting with a number of different businesses, but whilst at the bar, I fell in with the managing director of Hewlett Packard Financial Services for, for North and South Amer- and Latin America. And so we ended up having a couple of drinks, tequila. Uh, I <laughs> said to him, uh, I says, I'm, I've been looking to do more business with you. And he says, I'll tell you what, he says, buy us a drink and if you can basically basically win a drinking competition, I'll get you, you can have the business.
1: <laughs> with, with tequila?
0: Yeah. So it was like a six-figure sum. It was a big contract, I was right dead on. So i five foot three and a half. I'm not exactly a giant. But anyway, so I stood there. I had a few drinks with them. They were all, cracked crack was good. And I said, right, OK, I'll set up this meeting. So that was OK. I then came back with my chief executive, meeting the senior HR person for Hewlett Packard Financial Services. And uh, she, I walked in. She took one look at me. And she goes, if you ever go above my head again, I will walk you out that door. And I'll never do business with you. Really cross and I did my chief executive just looked at me because obviously I didn't tell him I got us the meeting via a drinking game. So I was like, ooh. <laughs> but she says, I'm giving you one chance. I was like, thanks very much. <laughs> and that was, I suppose that was one of one of the big wins that we had. So I did I did that for a few years and then um what did I do after that? I then I bought a franchise um because I wow. decided I was going to be able to do it myself. Uh which it really didn't work. A franchise the one I got involved with. It was an awful lot of work um, okay. to not really make as much money as I right. was working in sales. And what was it? Um, it was it was like an online advertising platform.
1: Right. Okay. So it was quite
0: good. It was interesting, but it was a real lesson because I went from being just a salesperson to suddenly running a small business where you had to deal with tech, the telephones, and this and that, and employing people, which was gosh, right. It was really it was it was tough. Um, but it was it was it was a real. I so suppose there was lots of lessons to be learned from it. Um, you wouldn't say it failed because we made enough money, but it would have made more money working for somebody else yeah, yeah, if yeah. you were doing it just from a financial basis. Um, but it, that that was interesting. I, I realized when, with my first sales job, my boss said to me, he says, you know, you're either winning customers or keeping customers. You're doing anything else, you know, you're wasting, you're your, wasting time. your time. And I'm not great at administration, so I decided, do you know what, just to be as good as I possibly can be in sales. You can always find somebody that'll do your expenses for you, and people will forgive you anything if you're hitting your numbers. Yeah, this yeah, is true. Yeah. Genuine, you forgiven <laughs> most things. Even doing tequila with <laughs> <laughs> managing directors, if you're hitting in your, your, your day, numbers, day, your you're number. forgiven nearly your yeah. everything. Yeah. Um So for me, one of the things that I did was like I just focused on 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 sales um, and getting as good as it could be. But we did a Another big lesson they learned was a, did a 360 degree feedback um, session. And I would have had a couple of people in my sales team. And I thought I was pretty good because I made sure my sales team, we had our numbers. Everybody got paid their commission. Everything was good. But I didn't realize when I got the 360 degree feedback that actually people weren't having a good time working with me. Um, I railroaded people into different <laughs> things. It was kind of...
1: This is, this, is, this is even more of an epiphany it than was, the world view. It viewing. was even
0: more. So I was like, but they're hitting their numbers. Look, they're making their commission. Yeah. Why are you not happy? <laughs> uh, but it was good. It was, I suppose it was a real insight into, me, into where I need to be. But the coach turned around to me and says, you know, how hard do you work? I said, oh, 110%. And he says, most people work at about 70%. He says, imagine you could get, you have five people working for you. Imagine you could get an extra 10% out of them." And he says, just do the math. He says, that's an extra 35%. He says, and you could just work at 100% and you do 135 He says, if you can make your team better, you will get so much more return on investment than if you just killed yourself trying yeah, to push. Yeah, not Because there's only a limit. You can't get past anything. So that's when I got into leadership and trying to understand this was how I could make the team that worked for me be the best that possibly could be. And now my, the biggest success I have is when I see my team improve and what they're getting. And, and you, you can see it because if you give people an opportunity, if people have the right attitude and know what they're doing um they'll give it a go and Mm -hmm. when people this was the mindset that we have at ICC Belfast is that we experiment with things and if we fail we fail fast um and we as quickly as we can we we see what works what doesn't and the things that do work we refine them and we refine them refine them and we could repeat that success and if it doesn't work we drop it so it's it's a it's a nice place to be, but it, the big piece for me was that three hundred and sixty degree feedback, mm-hmm. and I realized just being the best wasn't good enough, but making your team the best was way better because you'll have exponential growth in it.
1: So how how do you make your team the best? How did you go about making your team the best? Because it's all very well getting that you know ha- having that that target in mind, but you know actually turning it in and making them feel happier in what they do and performing better is more difficult.
0: I suppose if, if I look at my team now, so I have three direct reports of Ashley, Charlie, and marie Claire. And for us, the big thing is we have a shared goal. So our our ethos here is when we win, everyone wins. So whenever the city wins, whenever we win a big conference, the whole city wins. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever we're working for suppliers, so Belfast Live would be one of our partners in terms of our entertainments. But we're very open. we're saying this is where we need to drive. this is we will give them access. so we had we had Game of Thrones, the European premier. We give them access to it, um, straight off the bat in terms of um, being able to come to the premier and see it and being on the red yeah. carpet. Uh, we even told them. First, so that they could be part of the the launch mm-hmm. from a Northern Ireland perspective, we give them access to Billy, who was the he was like the creative designer for the event, so they had an interview that nobody else got. So for us, we work in partnership with people. Mm-hmm. So my team, we set out when we win, everyone wins. But we do this, and people are bought into the greater good. Like the reason the reason I do this job is Belfast and Northern Ireland is brilliant, right? We have got peace. The first time I ever voted was in the Good Friday Agreement. And I thought, right, this whole thing will be sorted by the time I have a family and I'm, you know, it's all I'm all grown up. It's not, do you know? And I think the big one of the big challenges that I have is segregated education. Mm-hmm. I just think, you know, ninety-five percent of our schools are segregated. And I thought, well, there's like I went to a convent, I went to a grammar school, I lived on a farm, so everybody beside me was related to me. I didn't really know and I was brought up Catholic. Um, I didn't know any Protestants so I was 16 I was in a bar and I met a girl called Carl and I sat down and asked her a load of questions I was like God, she's just like me uh, and I didn't want that for my I didn't want my son to be the lunatic in a bar yeah. 18 of course he'll be 18 um, but I didn't want him not to have that experience and I was segregated because of my sport because I could play Gaelic Uh and let's face it, it's mainly for one side of the community. And I was segregated because of my education. And I come from a, a nice family. We're not, I'm not political. I'm very, you know, middle of the road. But yet I was segregated and didn't know what was happening. So one of the big reasons that I took this job on is, is I can drive prosperity business tourism and what we do it can drive prosperity so if you think about it we can build the Branton reputation so if people we bring a conference here our universities get to showcase their research Um, our our big companies like um, we're hosting a big event with Deloitte but they've got their senior people over but Mm -hmm. they get to see the event that they're hosting in Belfast actually blows the one they did in London out of the water so if there's jobs that have become available they can bid for them and they show how good the city is and I'm really proud of where I come from so for me in terms of the team, you have that sense of purpose. So why are we actually doing this? So it gets beyond just hitting your numbers and getting a bonus or getting paid, but it actually becomes, what's the purpose? Why are we doing this? And then you buy in because you're doing it for your family, you're doing it for a legacy, but you're doing it for the future, um, which is, it makes it much easier because you're part of a bigger piece. Um, Then people have clear goals in terms of what they're trying to do. But if you know the direction you're going, you then have to give people freedom to make decisions and you have to give people freedom to make mistakes because you're not going to learn, like I've learned far more from the things they did wrong and yeah. um, made mistakes than the things that I did right. Yeah. Um, so you give people the opportunity and I think one of the things is that, that you coach people along the way and you see that if you've got, if people have the right attitude, see if somebody's a hard worker and they're smart, right? they, they get it. If somebody makes a mistake once, that's, that's okay. If they make the same mistake again, I'm like, i going, there's something wrong here. Three times, this is now on purpose, you know, this is yeah, <laughs> you're yeah, yeah, trying
1: yeah, to yeah. bring
0: me down. Um, so it's okay to make mistakes, but I think it's having somebody that the people are smart enough to turn around and say, right, how do we make it better? How do we learn from it? And how do we improve? Um, and then you, you build a really cohesive team that everybody communicates with each other and that you have each other's backs and nobody gets thrown under a bus. Like we, we as a team would stand shoulder to shoulder whenever you have some tough things to go through you know and you said at the start it's a big responsibility like it is a huge responsibility like our target is a hundred million in economic impact if we don't fill the venue we actually the hotels suffer the restaurants suffer the taxis suffer the shops suffer so there's a big driver in terms of people's business plans being put together on the back of us being successful Mm -hmm. but we can do it and we believe we can and so that's been that's kind of the fun bit behind it. So in terms of building a team, you have, first of all, you've got a shared goal. Um, you then get the right people, and then you communicate, and then you call each other out. If something's not right, you don't let it lie. You call people out. And my team have called me out on things as well, and I've been like, you know, hands up. I've told one person something and forgot to tell the other two people in the team. I thought i told them, just forgot. But it's that miscommunication, and I... Your team have to be able to look up and turn around and say, "Do you know what, it? That's a complete mistake." You, you know, and have supposed have the courage to be brave and mm-hmm. say that's not going to work. Also, you have to be you have to be brave yourself and say, "Do you want? I'm going to take this on and I want to change it and make it better."
1: And that's a very modern that fast fail culture and that and that 360 degree feedback. That's a modern way of working. And um, you know, the, the, it, I suppose sometimes you feel that corporate Belfast and corporate Northern Ireland is a bit behind the curve when it comes to accepting that, that. That Do you think that there's more to be done?
0: I think there's a challenge. I think everybody should live outside Northern Ireland. Yeah. Um, like I lived in San Francisco, um, Played Gaelic football, was over there for a couple of years, lived in Dublin, but it just changes your mindset and yeah. you have a global mindset and it expands where your thinking's from. So I believe that everybody should be sent away for two years to go and live in a different part of the world and then to come back to Northern Ireland. Um, and to come back to Belfast or whatever part of the north that they're from. So the the piece that I have now is we cannot force people to leave for two years. My dictatorship doesn't work. <laughs> However, by osmosis, if I bring enough people from an international basis, if I can drive up tourism and I can have the kid that's from, I'm from Oclus and the back of beyond. But if I could, um, if I could have them, they're in Belfast or they're working at a shop that they're doing, but they get to meet somebody from Spain, from Beijing, I don't know from Brighton, but they have a conversation that makes them realise. Do you know what? Mm. There's more. There's more to there's life, more to life. Um, but it's that global mindset. Yeah. I think that that we're missing. Um, it's changing, right? Things are getting really good, and, but I do think that we need to think bigger because we compete on the international stage as a venue. ICC Belfast. We compete internationally. We go toe to toe, and the big driver, and people say that it makes a difference, is is our people, our attitude the fact that Belfast is really welcoming. But my biggest problem is perception. If I can get people to visit us, so if they come for a site visit, I have a 97% hit rate. But my biggest challenge is the actual getting the people, whether it's from the rest of the UK or further afield, to consider Belfast and Northern Ireland. And if they do, then we're in a winner. But it's getting it's, them here. It's getting them here.
1: It, it, I totally agree with you on that, That getting that worldview and going and living somewhere else. and it, And it's partly why I think the onset of the budget airlines and more flights from, from Belfast going all over, EasyJets and Ryanairs and everything that came in, you know, in that kind of late 90s, course. early 2000, that really helped that. When Northern Ireland people were going to other parts of the world and experiencing different different things. Um, but anyway, I want to I get back on track with your career. Okay. So we, 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 where were we? we, were, we so were, yes,
0: so then, at the front, then I ended up, I was the business development director with the Northern Ireland Chamber of Commerce. Yes. Which was a brilliant experience. Sure. Um, really good. Again, I had a good chief executive. Van McGregor it was great to work with. I was one of her first hires whenever she came in. Um, but my, my remit was to double the business, double membership. Um, so we doubled and tripled the membership. Um, we realized very quickly on that one of the best ways we could do it was selling en masse. On a one-to-one basis, you had a really good yeah. hit rate, but how do you get lots of people in? Um, I suppose what it did for me personally was I sold membership to every... To every business in Northern Ireland practically you know with thousands of the big companies yeah so I knew the chief executives I knew the leaders that so I have a really strong network throughout Northern Ireland not just with businesses but so was equally with permanent secretaries and um, with the ministers when we had them so it just gave you a really strong solid base
1: and, and also with some of the events that, that, that the chamber put on you know over the years there have been some fantastic ones. Oh, well, it been you know, brilliant.
0: Like we actually had Boris Johnson, so we did, uh, in Gal Gorm. In Gal Gorm, whenever, I yeah, was yeah, there. Yeah, the Gal Gorm yes. Manor. Um, Reich Bus as well. Right Bus, yeah, yes. That, yeah, I remember. And I've we went through a number of different presidents. Um,
1: you had Jimmy Collum?
0: Jimmy Collum. Brian O'Driscoll? Um, Brian O'Driscoll, I'm trying to think. We had your guy, um, Jeremy Paxman. Yes, yes goodness me. it was me. good. So it, was re- it was a really interesting, and I suppose that whenever I started, we were running about Ten events a year. Mm. The time I'd left, it was seventy-two plus, and I am sure, like yeah. the chamber's gone on to um, to great things, you know, since since I'd left four or five years ago. But it was it was a really good experience. I think the events industry realised it was that it was that live. Um, networking. It was the emotional connection with people. It was actually building, uh, I suppose, a community of business people that then won't give you a voice in terms of government, but equally just that people could share best practice. You know, this is what's worked for me. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that worked really well. For um, it, it was an it was a really interesting job because you get lots of access to different different keynote speakers. And again, it, it's like in that leadership journey that that you're on. You're trying to go God. You know, that's amazing. It was funny, I was at a chamber event, um, in this current role and it was the guy he had um he'd worked for Porsche, I think it was MD for Porsche, but it was phenomenal. I just yeah. sat there going, you know, the chamber's brilliant you know yeah, they bring yeah, yeah. keynote speakers like this and it's back to the global mindset and it's back to if the people if you're looking at what we're trying to do in terms of Northern Ireland is to drive exports, but if you think about it, the People sell through their networks, and if your network's all local, it's very hard to suddenly have so a outside, network on in yeah. an international basis. So bringing people in internationally, and I, I suppose that has to be a big focus in terms of Northern Ireland.
1: And then you you went from the chamber to uh, a job that that you know some would say was a little bit further removed from the, from from, well, from where so that okay, ca- so career I, directory was yeah, going. Yeah, so I
0: ended up as the director of sales and marketing for the Irish FA. Um, uh, and again, this was my remit and my role in that particular job was to was to commercialise the business, and um, it was to drive sponsorship. We were opening the National Stadium, um, at Windsor Park. We were, at that stage, we were looking in terms of the the whole digital piece around football. I was really lucky in that whenever I first started, and um, UEFA had used Northern Ireland as a pilot project, um, for a. a Grow twenty twenty, and they looked at four things: the brand and image of football, it looked at participation, it looked at digital engagement, and then it looked at revenues. But the way that they put it together um, was they did all the research beforehand, so you had research and an insight into what you were actually doing um, from what people thought of football. But one of the one of the key statistics was that seventy one percent of people said that if we qualified for a major tournament, that it could help unite the people of Northern Ireland, which was phenomenal. Later, I found out that seventy-one percent of people voted yes for the Good Friday Agreement. Wow! Isn't that interesting. Amazing. Yeah.
1: That, and that, that was that was. I mean, that was a really interesting time for for Northern Ireland football, as you say. You know, it, it, it's such a, a journey. It came on in that short space of time. Kind of coincided with when you were there.
0: Well, yes, uh, absolutely nothing to do with me. <laughs> uh, from a commercial perspective, it w- it was good, right? The timing was right. We had um the team were in the up you know the like the game against Hungary I so there was it was what I think it was the 8th of September um the 7th of September because um, it was 10 years the day that David Healy had scored the infamous goal mm-hmm. um against England but the I ran. Wait, this is madness so we were in a building site um and I decided to run uh, a sales event on the morning in a marquee on the grounds of Windsor Park um to sell sponsorship so I brought some of my key sponsors across at Adidas, I had JD Sport I, I had 100 people um, in a marquee I, before, just before the event started I went on to Sky and uh, Sports News and launched a Facebook um, competition for two tickets to the match that night um, I then went in and did a, did a conference did a, like a big sales pitch in terms of getting people bought into Northern Ireland and football and one of the big things that we we can't really sell on eyeballs right our people our population's 1.8 million you know it's just like i would go over to meetings in london and i literally passed more people than lived in the whole of northern ireland (laughs) on my way to the meeting so you couldn't say look at the media like there's so many people in northern ireland so you had to sell on an emotional basis and that comes back to the i suppose football football's the biggest sport in northern ireland and um historically it had been seen as something that segregated people. Mm. And I think one of the things with the success of the team and the brilliant job that Michael O'Neill has done and I suppose the fact that the team is mixed, the fact that there's more Catholics play soccer across Northern Ireland than play Gaelic um, is that football, to me, is something that could bring people together. Um, We had the statistics in terms of the research from UEFA that if we qualified for a major tournament, we could bring the people of Northern Ireland together and people have something to really champion. Um, And the big driver... I suppose whenever we were launching that, we sold on an emotional basis. And we sold the brand and story. And we talked about a divided society. And one of the things that could help bring people together was sport. And that's what people bought into. Mm-hmm. It wasn't 1.8 million. Um, so we did, this, we did this great sales pitch. Like I literally can, I can, from that there, I can quite, a seven-figure figure seven sum came back in sponsorship wow. directly from that um event. Goodness. People be. bought into it. Um, and it was really good. It was it was unbelievable. Like we were renegotiating contracts. But when they understood what it meant to Northern Ireland and what we could actually do with it and the difference it would make, people wanted to be part of that, that journey. Um, so then I did a hard hat tour with David Healy. Uh, <laughs> I interviewed David and one of the questions they asked him, I should not be interviewing was so Michael O'Neill sacked you whenever he came in, did he? Like, he'd give you the picture.
1: <laughs> straight Straight for straight the jugular. The yeah, you, yeah,
0: no. Yeah. <laughs> Sir David. But David's a brilliant guy. Really, really good. He was really accommodating. Yeah, it was before yeah. he was... Um, obviously, now he's very full-on in terms of Linfield. But he was great. He was really good and very supportive of it. But we did a hard-hat tour. I didn't have a microphone for people to hear me. So I used the antennae, you know, for the match <laughs> announcement. <laughs> that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I boomed ice across, across the whole, the whole place. South
1: Belfast. <laughs> yep.
0: So it was really So I just like did my sales pitch. I sold a couple of corporate boxes from scratch. Wow. Um, it was interesting. Um you could see how much it had moved on, but the one of the corporate boxes that we sold was um to Eamon O'Hare um from Nary O'Hare uh, contractors. O'Hare. he had been a big down supporter of GA yeah. man. He says I I have to tell you, somebody said to me twenty years ago, "I'd be buying a corporate box <laughs> <laughs> in Windsor Park." I wouldn't have believed it, um, and it was great to see how things—I yeah. suppose—had moved on. Yeah. Um, and there was people that really helped out. I mean, whenever we, uh, whenever we qualified, it was like, "Oh my goodness, right, we've qualified. What are we going to do now?" Um, and we ran the fan zone. Um, actually, mm. with Alan and the guys in Bell Sonic, uh, down at Titanic, and we couldn't. It was, they were the only ones that were supporting it um, people were very nervous that there'd be trouble um, they had both the Republic of Ireland matches on the Northern Ireland games on um, I'm not going to give you the, the exact figures that was through the doors um, uh, but there was a lot of people Alan did all right out of it um, there was a lot of people in terms of the um, in terms of the fan zone so it ended up on Good Morning uh, America over 3 million people seen it and the New York Times had a headline which is one of my one of the proudest things that I ever ever been involved with, and I had, again had a brilliant team that I was working with, and it said Northern Ireland united behind their, t- their team. Leave, leave, Northern Ireland leaving the past behind, united behind their team, and it was a picture of the fans, with flowers going up and yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was, I, I, so it was an unbelievable experience for me. And I, I, my background was I played Gaelic football, so I'd I, I, you, you know, played for Down? I played for Down. and I had never. I'd never, i never been to a Northern Ireland match before. I'd never been to a Gaelic match before, and or sorry, a soccer match before. So, but they didn't bring me in to come in and help the football. They brought me in because I'm actually a good at driving numbers, um, in terms of hitting sales, in terms of commercialising the business, in terms of bringing a team together to deliver what needs to be done. But my cousin had, uh, I had got tickets for her and her, her, her for her husband and her son. Her son's called Tag. Uh, and her her husband or her, her partner had played Gaelic for time. Um, he'd been in one of the All Irelands. Anyway, beforehand she's texted me saying, "And oh, no, I need your number just in case, just in case." Like oh, right. <laughs> it'll be all right. I Sinead, everybody'll be fine. It'll be ridiculous. I says to be honest, it's kind of like the All Ireland. I says because you know, I there's loads of people that are often when everybody's having a great time. I says it's unbelievable. I says now my perception beforehand would have been a fairly. I would have been a bit nervous. Yeah. Um, I go, Sinead, they'll have a ball. Got a big text from her beforehand. She goes, they had an absolute brilliant time. Tag's now a Northern Ireland fan. <laughs> Has to get up watching all the matches. <laughs> Delighted, you know. So I think, for me, I suppose, yeah. that within my own network, I've seen how things have progressed and how um, football is a great way of bringing people together. And sports a great way. And, and music, you know. So like the Ulster Hall, the Waterfront Hall, it's a great way to actually... Bring people together. It's an actual because we don't have it in schools. Mm-hmm. You don't have the common piece in schools. You know.
1: So that was your your drop the mic moment, and you and you then thought off to the.
0: again uh, I and I C-C. thought of it, I would. My my intention was to stay four years. Um, football was amazing. Like so, I went to the Man City Man United uh, match. The guy that's head of looks after all the hospitalities originally from Bangor. Right. Um, so we were getting a, a, a guided tour, and the, one of the corporate boxes was Harvey Nicks, And the footballer took it for their, their wife or girlfriend, and they had a button that you could press, and it it basically frosted over, so you could try on the clothes in the corporate <laughs> box they had. And you could say your size, your shoe size, the brands that you wanted. <laughs> if it wasn't the right size or the right thing, you could look on an iPad there and pick... Whatever he did, and Harvey next would have delivered it before the end of the match. As long as you ordered it before half time, I couldn't stay in this corporate box as much as I <laughs> wanted to. I was like, "Please, Tom, can I stay here?" But no, I wasn't allowed. Uh, but it was a really <laughs>
1: yeah, <the> eye opener. <laughs> it was an eye
0: opener. You know, it was a very different football. Was yeah. UAF a very different world in terms of um, how it worked. So I thought in my own head, I'd, I'd set out to um, I'd set out for four years, but the opportunity with with this was with the Waterfront Ulster Hall and then we rebranded as ICC um, for the conference inside. came up and it was something that back to my one of my reasons and what I'm trying to do is if I can galvanise people and if I can use my network to drive Northern Ireland forward and and drive that prosperity piece because with my son I suppose with football I wanted I actually want a society that everybody gets on with everybody else. It's yeah. okay to be different, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's actually good to be different. You don't have everybody the exact same. Um, but one of the big things, like he said to me, Mommy, he says, I can't believe it. He goes, you've left football for the pantomime.
1: <laughs> he was Oh, no, I haven't. He
0: was like, oh, you were really cool. <laughs> I went to school like my mommy works <laughs> But yeah, so I left, I le- yeah, I left football for the pantomime. And I explained, I says this, and I says, Keelan, one of the things that I suppose that that this job is going to be better is that I can actually help drive prosperity. I says when you're when you're older, I'd love you to go travelling, go and see the world, but I want you to come back and you know i'm from northern ireland an irish mommy i want you to live beside me um, i don't want you to go in anywhere but i want you to be able to come back and there'll be really good jobs and yeah. really good opportunities and the way that we can do that is if we drive prosperity and one of the best ways to do that is business tourism because if i can bring big corporates in here who run their their sales kickoff meeting somebody might turn around and say actually northern ireland's a great place yeah the people are really good they're intelligent it's good culture why don't we set up an office here in uh, like Micro Focus? They they have their sales office um, in uh, in Belfast and Barcelona for Europe. So like why could we not have more of those? Yep. And I think it's the work that Invest NI are doing is really, really important. Yep. But asking somebody to set up an office is a bit like asking somebody to move in with you mm. you know, or get married. <laughs> Whereas if you ask them to come for a conference in Belfast, yeah, it's Yeah, do you know, it's like a coffee. Getting, it's a It's no big commitment. <laughs> um, but we're a good calling yeah. card.
1: Maybe exchange numbers.
0: Might exchange numbers <laughs> to come back. Do you know? So the big thing for me, I suppose, like when I was explaining to Keenan, was like, this this helps. Plus from our research and development, if we bring... The greatest minds come to Northern Ireland to speak at a big medical yeah. conference. Then actually, they might stay on and lecture at our university. so our graduates get better, and you actually might get a better education if you go to Queen's, or you might go further afield.
1: Yeah. So you're talking to and You're talking to say you're talking to other young people, and they've got a you know the ambition to be uh, to reach where you've got in life. What what sort of advice would you give them? You know, during their career, whether it's sales, whether it's another another role, what sort of advice would you would you give them?
0: I think there's some things that you, you don't actually need any skills for. You know, like, for example, come to work a bit early.
1: You know? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you know, sure, show not up even five minutes time. early. Just show up yeah, a bit yeah, early. Yeah. You know,
0: come with the right attitude. And whenever there's, uh, things are always going to go wrong. Like, there's always going to be something goes wrong. But it's, it's not what happens. It's how you, how you actually react to that you Know and if you actually think about okay, well, what could I do to make this better? Coming with solutions, but a, a lot of the time, showing up and taking instruction. So, if you're said, Can you go and do whatever it is? Like, for example, when I started in sales, I was told, Yeah, every gets a hundred phone sales calls done by lunchtime. I thought that was the truth, I didn't know that, that. So, I just thought I'm gonna have to get through all these phone calls. So, I was knocking out a hundred phone calls and yeah. like by lunchtime, but they told me that I'd. I wasn't smart enough to work out, <laughs> but it made me really successful. Because yeah, because you were actually because I was doing it. Every doesn't like, oh, it's hundred, right? So a bit like um, this was one of the things is that if you're given instruction from a manager, just follow an instruction would be a good one. Um, show up in time, have the right attitude, and just and learn. So if you see somebody doing something that you think, oh, that's a really good idea, ask questions and learn from mm-hmm. other people. Um, another thing this was that that I did early on was work out with what you're not good at or what you are good at. And the things that you're good at, put all your effort into. If you could put, I think you have a three times return on investment in working, like I could work really, really hard to be good at doing my expenses and an admin. I could, but I'd be mediocre right. at best. Like absolutely mediocre. And the amount of effort that it would take me to get to further middling than it would for the things that I'm good at to get much better at. So I put all my effort, I try to put my effort into the things that I'm, that i'm good at and i would say that that, that's probably try and work out what you can also take feedback and be and ask for feedback and take constructive feedback and say listen what what could i be doing better if there's the other good interview question so that when people say have you any questions for me um one of the ones that i found worked very successful and that's from your first job to a director job is if i'm sitting down in a year's time how will you be measuring my success of what i've delivered in the past 12 months how will you measure my success? Very good. It's a good question, and the reason being is then you can find out what do they actually want me to do, and you get people on the hop a wee bit, yeah, so yeah, you can yeah. say, "Oh, right, okay, mm, I'm going to have to make a few changes um, in terms of the uh, of in terms of what I thought the job was going to be." Or no, okay, this is exactly what what I thought. So I think it gives you a better understanding as well. Um, and don't be afraid; go for it. Like, you know, if you don't know what you're doing. Like, I think it's just taking the opportunities and people, what was it, was it Winston Churchill said, most people don't, you know, they don't take the opportunities because it's stressed and overalls and hard work, you know, it's kind of the way it is. Very true.
1: Um, we're running short of time, but I want to ask you one last question. Have you enjoyed it? Because it's been, it sounds like a hell of a hell of a roller coaster.
0: It's really, it's, 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 it's Every job that I've had, I, I throw myself one hundred and ten percent into it um, and drag everybody else with me. Um, but yeah, it's been really good. It's I suppose you can't believe the opportunities that that you've got. Do you know, I think when I was so I was at the Euros with Northern Ireland, I um, I I learned all the Northern Ireland songs. I um, was going around <laughs> to Sean Stalise singing "We're Not Brazil, We're Northern Ireland" <laughs> um, with my key sponsors because the VIP sponsorship, uh, the, sorry, the, it was like £1,800 a person to go to the Euros to UEFA's hospitality and we couldn't afford that. You know, we do, like, we're like we Northern Ireland, you know, we are not Brazil in terms of our, our sponsorship packs either. So we decided to give them a gawa experience, um, which is basically take them on a bus. We, we give them tins of beer um, and we had a sing-song Guts. and we had a ball and and like the, the people came they said it was the best corporate trip slash non corporate trip that ever been on. And we had a really ge- engaged team. So that like that's a phenomenal experience. You have um it, it is, it's it's been really good. You get to work with lots of different people. Um so I'd say the journey's been pretty amazing so far. More to come, hopefully David. Yeah, yeah, well it certainly <laughs>
1: sounds interesting so far. Um Uno Riley thanks so much for being on the podcast. Um it's been brilliant to hear about it. And I know I said that you have a lot of responsibility on your shoulders here to drive Northern Ireland and it's you've already just reinforced that even more so if you ask me but thanks very much for for being on the podcast